This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? We are back. Back at it again, and I hope you had a great holiday. I hope you had a great Christmas, New Year's. I want to let you in on something here. I we took I took a little time off, which I normally do as being a, being a podcaster for four or five years. You know, here it's like you take December off. Not many people are listening to podcasts. You know, everybody's busy getting guests and being guests and all that kind of thing. It, it's just better off that we're like, hey, use that time to catch up on what you missed. Did not realize how much I would absolutely hate taking that time off from this show. Maybe it speaks to the content. Maybe it speaks to my need to just rant about things that are going on in the world. But so many things were happening. I didn't have a setup and I was traveling and I was just like, "Ah, I had all the gear, but we just couldn't get it together. So next year, I will not be taking this much time off. Maybe a little bit for Christmas or whatever, but we'll have some shows in between Christmas and New Year's there because usually it's a downtime. Usually it's a downtime, but being that it was the end of 2020, it just, it wasn't. (laughs) So we're going to catch up on a little bit of that on the show today. We're going to talk about what happened with the $2,000 stimulus checks. We're going to talk about Julian Assange. We're going to get into the Georgia Senate races, and I'm going to share some thoughts on vaccines. And then... And something to think about, we're going to talk about what we have to look forward to in 2021. Now, I want to give you guys a little recap, because my my trip um, over over Christmas, over the holidays, was a little different than most. You know, I started, we drove down from Denver to my hometown of Graham, Texas, uh, spent, I think, three or four nights there, hung out with the family, had a really good time. Saw my dad for the first time in like seven years. Um, he's out of prison, which is really was a really great experience for me. He's doing awesome. Um, it, it was crazy, man. Like I'm just going to go, <laughs> just going to go off here a little bit, but having had this really strained relationship with my father and then him being arrested, uh, about six years ago on drug charges, nonviolent drug charges, like many people that are in prison. And then seeing the way this guy turned his life around in prison was so inspiring to me. And, you know, if, you have, if you've ever had like addicts in your family or, or dealt with this type of stuff uh, personally, um, you probably understand. And we had this really long discussion around politics and prison. And I don't mean like geopolitical politics. I mean prison politics between um, different gangs, different uh, units within the prison. Like it was a really interesting conversation. I learned so much. But the dude took that five or six years, however long he was in there, I think about six, and um, – and he just got into reading, got into Jordan Peterson, got into these like Wim Hof breathing. Like it was incredible to see him. And he shared with me and, and Kelly that, you know, there's about 10% of the guys in there are trying to make up for lost time. So whatever time they spent in the joint, they want to add that to the end of their life. And that seeing that there was just, you know, basically you have a choice in there of like get your life together, learn something, make make your Increase your potential outside of prison because you're already going to be fighting an uphill battle being a felon. Um, what do you want to do with that, right? Do you want to get better at doing crime or do you want to take this time to read and learn and explore and figure out why the fuck you're in here in the first place? And to have seen him turn it around like that was just so inspiring to me. And the dude called me out on not doing my breath work. <laughs> he's, not, he's probably wrapping up his 30 days of Wim Hof right now. And he's just in it, man. He's intermittent fasting. It's it, He's eating mostly carnivore. Like He's got his shit together. And it's really inspiring to me for that. That was probably the highlight of my of my holiday was being able to spend time with him and my nephews and and get to see him be a granddad, and and you know I bought my nephews um, Nerf guns, and we just shot the shit out of each other, and it was really fun. <laughs> we had a great time. But going from that, we traveled down to Austin, and I have a lot of friends in Austin. I lived there for ten years. I love Austin to death. It's kind of turning into L.A., which I don't love, but it is what it is. That's how it goes because California is a fucking shit show. So ended up getting to meet the creator of Plandemic. His name is Mickey Willis. Really interesting guy, and I hadn't watched Plandemic. 
until I was in Austin. So I actually watched it the night before I met the guy, and it was really interesting. Of course, I don't agree with everything in there, but there has been this shift of not really buying it. Like things just aren't adding up for me. And don't if you're if you're thinking, oh shit, now I'm gonna have to like stop listening to this show because Connor's going down the rabbit hole and next thing he's gonna be into QAnon. Like that's not that's not the case here. But I do like to be critical of every angle, right? And especially critical of of government and government protections. And I'm critical of big pharma. Like this is really a perfect storm for me uh, as far as what's happened with the pandemic and and everything with COVID to really kind of slip down the rabbit hole a little bit and just let myself open up to other ideas of what could be happening, right? So in watching Plandemic, I realized that the CDC is actually a private-owned organization, similar to the Fed, where we think it's a part of the federal government, but it's really not, which really kind of threw me off a bit. And then sitting down with the guy that created this, actually a really sweet, genuine guy, like a really nice guy. I had a, a great time talking to him. We talked to him about psychedelics and and the problems with psychedelics, like just to really seem to be a really rational person. So it put me in a situation where most people aren't in, where if you go Google plan, well, I can't even talk, Google pandemic, like all you're getting is debunked, 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 um, problematic, whatever. These articles written up by a lot of mainstream media, which is, which is fine. I, and I understand that something like that can be dangerous. But at the end of the day, it's just information, right? And a lot of things in there aren't speculation. They're just facts about how, and I'm not, God, I have to catch myself in this because I know that's what conspiracy theorists say, right? But in a similar way to the way that Alex Jones functions, right, which there is about 40% of just conjecture and and noise in what he has to say, there are things that are true, you know, was Sandy Hook a, a, a false flag? I don't think so. That was a That was a huge mistake on his part that, you know, he's paid for in a lot of ways. But with this situation, I look at this all and it's kind of opened me up in a, in a way that I feel is actually relatively productive in, in questioning all of this and, and how um, the power shift has seemed to move upward more and more. Like 2020 is the year of wealth and power moving upward within our society, even at, at an extrapolated rate, right? At, at a faster rate than it already was. And it was already pop problematic. I mean, that was one of the reasons that I was so drawn to Bernie Sanders in 2015 was because of the power distribution I felt was uh, anti-democratic in the way that it was shaping up. So we had this really interesting experience of being able to meet and humanize the creator of this, who is someone, I'm a guy who's been villainized and, and probably rightfully so in many ways. Uh, so meeting Mickey was really um, quite an experience and then sitting down with my my friend J.P. Sears, who many of you may know is like the redhead comedian that has these ridiculous satirical videos, um, is such a funny guy, but takes this COVID lockdown situation very seriously, and especially when it comes to uh, limits on free speech, right? So there's going to be some things that I'm going to talk about on this show today, particularly around vaccines, and they're really just my personal beliefs, right? Like I don't, I'm not going to uh, project onto anybody what they should do, but I will share my thought process as to why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. That may not have a home on YouTube, right? That may not have a home on Instagram. Like that might get taken down. It's not me giving advice necessarily. It's me sharing my thought process. That should be free to that. that that's free speech. Right. If I was to say, if you got a vaccine, you're a sheep and a coward and a pussy and you're an idiot. Like that's yeah, that's prob that that's hate speech in a way. I guess you could you could say, but that's not what I do here. Right. Unless unless you're Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell, um, then we have you know <laughs> we we blur the lines a little bit there. But this is quite quite interesting. And then and then feeling this. You know, we we not we were in Texas. We have a very Texas vibe. Um, Austin is is the most liberal spot in Texas, without a doubt. Uh, much less regulation as far as what's happening with masks. Um, businesses are able to open and be open and, and thrive in a way because one thing, if you know much about Austin, you know it is one of the best food towns, if not the best food town, um, in the country. So those restaurants are able to really be able to to operate indoor and outdoor in a way that you're not seeing many other places. And I think that also kind of dovetails into 
why a lot of Republicans don't want this $2,000 stimulus check is because their states, generally speaking, are more open and people don't need them as badly as places like California and New York, right? So this is a very complex issue, but I got to see it all from a different perspective, just being in a different state, in a state that I'm very comfortable with. We also went out and I shot an AR uh, for the first time in a long time. So I shot an, an AR-15 you guys know what that is, or an M4 is actually what it technically is called. Um, technically not an assault rifle, but I'm not one of those guys who says, it's not an assault rifle. Like, by all practical purposes, it is an assault rifle. Let's call it what it is. And I've had this feeling lately, and, and just to give some context, I bought an AR when I was 18 years old, and I think I sold it when I was like 26 or 27. I just didn't use it very much. I didn't feel like I needed it. I thought it was kind of like just this toy that was expensive that I just I just didn't need it anymore. So I'm going to get rid of this. And recently I felt like it wasn't something I wanted necessarily. Like they're definitely fun and, and I can use them in the things that I do, like with hunting and different things. But it felt like a security measure to just have an AR in my house. Like have something with the capacity that that does, um, with the functionality that does, do some really high-level training with it, and get myself very comfortable with one, just in case. I have never been the type of person to think that way or act that way. That was a, a profound shift in the, my way of thinking that has been brought on by the way the government has behaved, the way that people in power have behaved, the way that people rebelling against power have behaved. Like From all angles, I'm like, I just think it would be safer, actually, to have one or two of these. So was the day after we got back from Texas, I ended up ordering um, from different websites. I had to piece these whole things together because you cannot find, you cannot find any guns right now. It is insane. If, you've, if, you, if anybody out there has been shopping for them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's wild. So I had to piece these things together like grown-up Legos here and then <laughs> have all this stuff ordered uh, to the gun shop where you... If you order guns online, you have to do something called an FFL transfer. You have to have it shipped to a gun retailer um, that has an FFL license. And then from there, you can go pick it up in the same way that if you went to a gun store and buy it up. So this, when you hear like in Joe Biden's gun plan, like limiting online orders of gun and gun parts, um, that doesn't actually make a lot of sense because they have to actually be shipped to a gun retailer for you to go pick them up and run your background check before you pick them up. So just a little aside there. But it's been this really, really weird shift in my view of my own personal civil liberties, my own freedom of speech, my own kind of decision-making abilities. Um, it's just been odd. It's been odd. And I wanted to share that here because it's just something that's that has really become the front of my mind here. As I, as I kind of view this whole thing and I try and, you know, what I do, I feel like I'm doing a service to myself and a service to all of you that are listening by trying to steal man all arguments, right? Like I want to look at Dan Crenshaw from Texas, right? And say, okay, what if with the best of intentions and with the best information, why would he be making the decision he's making? And I'll do the same thing with Gretchen Whitmer from, um, from Michigan. Right. So there is something to be said for that. And I feel like that's a, a vital component of critical thinking is being able to create, if you have an opposition, if you feel like you're in opposition to someone, be able to understand their argument at its strongest and then create um, your counter argument if that's the case. Right. So that's, that's the most, that's the sturdiest place to be when it comes to critical thinking. And it's been this really strange time for me in shifting. Um, some of my beliefs, some of my views, now that we have more data, more information, and honestly, a track record of what pharmaceutical companies, what government has done in the past. And we're not operating from a moral high ground as a country, okay? And I think that there's a lot to be said for these people that hate Jeff Bezos and hate Bill, uh, Bill Gates and these guys who have so much influence but they also praise the system that got them there. It's like it's, you can be so over-the-top patriotic, and then, you know, like, like InfoWars people claim to be patriots, right? These Republicans claim to be patriots. But you worship the system that created these billionaires and their influence. 
it's a part that's not that's not an outlier situation within the system. That system is built for that type of thing. And we've also tilted the scale so much since the Reagan era to make that more and more possible. Now we worship billionaires, right? They are their success stories in our in our cultural consciousness. And that's a very interesting place for us to be in, right? Like there is this place where it's we end up putting them in this kind of benevolent uh benevolent area of our society and that's that's crumbling away more and more you may think it's even kind of outlandish that i'm saying that now but if you go back to 2005 right that's how we operated and that's this kind of lingering trickle down economics type of mindset where if you make the rich richer then everybody benefits and that has been proven false time and time again. There is some truth to it, just as there's some truth to saying, well, if the working class is robust, that is the foundation of your economy. So maybe you should focus there, right? That lends itself to some type of socialist thinking in certain ways or libertarianism, right? The the two completely opposing ideologies with very uh, similar intentions. So we have this, we have, we're a fucking mess right now. And I'm just kind of rambling here and going off, but we are a mess right now, and it's been really challenging to try and sift through the nonsense and get into what's true, right? Just deciphering what the way that I would like to view reality and what I want to be true has to be set aside for accepting what really is. And, and accepting what really is is an uncomfortable situation to be in, but... That's my rant about my trip and my thoughts and and some of my reflections from the past couple of weeks. And it feels good to speak those things out on the microphone to you guys out there in the world. I want to give a quick shout out to our new Patreon members in the Premium Wanders community. Caitlin, Sean, Brandon, Matt, Jason, and Paige. Oh, thank you all so much. It's been really nice. We sold out the, the OG tier. So that $4.50 tier is now gone. Everybody who's in there, you're locked into that $4.50 tier. Now, if you want to get in the Patreon community, obvious, obviously it's still there. We've got the operative tier at $6 and the deep state at 15. Get in there, see the difference. The link is in the show notes of this show. It's a fun community. What I've started doing in that community is posting articles and things that I'm using to kind of create this show as well as adding that bonus episode um, every week from questions from the Patreon. So the Patreon community is creating a show of its own, and those come out on Fridays at that premium wanders only show. So if you want to get in there, you want to create some discourse, you want to have some have some conversations over challenging topics. Like that's what I'm trying to drop in there is videos or articles that I find uh, impactful, and then using this community to create a dialogue. That's what I wanted to have. I thought there was a, there needed to be a safe place for dialogue where I'm the moderator, right? So I'm a free speech advocate. As long as you're not overtly racist or a fucking piece of shit, like I want you to have a discussion in there. That's why we created the Patreon community. That's what it's about. And I'm super grateful for everyone that's in there. And if you're curious about it, hit the link in the show notes. It's patreon.com slash Connor Wanders. Join that deep state tier. Those guys get, I'm just going to be real with you, they get preferential treatment. And everybody that was in the OG tier is now in the deep state tier. You get the premium of the premium, baby. All right. A lot of rambling there. Make sure, if you love this show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, please, and share it with a friend. If your friend's into, like, what the hell's going on with Julian Assange, we're going to talk about it. It's like, where's my $2,000 stimulus check? We're going to talk about that, too. And... Yeah, I just appreciate it at the end of the day. <laughs> but that, golly, golly gee bum. Well, I think that's enough of that. That was quite a little monologue there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. So let's get into the state of things. Okay, okay, kicking things off here, and I just want to go, this thing's been in the news for a while now, we've been been talking about this kind of over the whole break, which is one of the reasons I was so bummed 
to not have shows out during the break. But we're just going to go through the kind of a brief history of the $2,000 stimulus checks, right? So a bill was passed, went to Trump's desk uh, with $600 checks and a bunch of spending for gender studies in Iran or some shit. Like it was just a completely ridiculous bill. It was kind of a joke. Um, Also made sure, that bill made sure that military contractors that weren't working right now um, were going to get paid still. But American people who have been struggling for 10 months um, aren't. They're just going to get 600 bucks. That's enough. That's enough, right? No, that's not enough. So Trump came out and did something he should have done six months ago and said, that's not enough money, $2,000 checks, and get rid of this wasteful spending. I was like, wow, if Trump would have done that instead of tweeting law and order 3,000 times, we would have had him as president again. Maybe you like that, maybe you don't, but it is what it is. That was that, that was a very Trumpian thing to do. When Trump follows his instincts and doesn't listen to his advisors, he actually does a better job. And he's actually less dangerous that way. But here we are. So that put pressure on everyone. And we've got these Senate runoff elections in Georgia coming up. So Loeffler and Purdue had to get on board with a $2,000 checks because they are in a dead, crazy heat race going on down in Georgia. Very interesting. We're going to get to that later in this show. So that happens. And then we're like, all right, well, this is going to go back. He ends up passing the bill. And then we have another bill that increases the payments from 600 to 2000 that Bernie Sanders and Josh Hawley were pushing very, very aggressively. And I'm very proud of both of them. The populist left and the populist right came together and created a situation where it put pressure on Mitch McConnell. But since Mitch McConnell is a complete piece of shit and incredibly talented at doing nothing and making nothing happen, he bundles the $2,000 stimulus checks with election fraud provisions and the repeal of Section 230, which shields social media companies from liability for things that are posted on their sites. So what we did here, essentially, and that just blew up the bill. Obviously, that's not going to pass, right? We, put, we created a situation where Democrats and Republican representatives can defer the blame to the other side and wash their hands of the situation. And the only people that get fucked in this whole deal is people that are economically struggling throughout this fucking nightmare that is COVID-19. So, to sum it up, we all got fucked. We all got fucked. And the good, the very few good actors that there are as in our representative states are left alone. They're left alone. And here we are bearing the burden. It has been over 10 months now. It's almost a year that we've been dealing with this shit. And we got $1,200 in, was that April? Like, there's arguments to be made, right? The argument um, from the right is that this stimulus, this direct stimulus, is not uh, targeted enough and that people will get it if they don't need it. But that still stimulates the economy. Do you understand? Do you get it? Say you get $2,000 of discretionary income from the government. That goes, maybe you're paying off credit cards, maybe you're putting it in the stock market, but most people are going to go out and buy something. Buy something at a retail store. Who works at retail stores? Working class people that need to keep their fucking jobs. So even if you get the $2,000 and don't necessarily need it to survive, it's still, by trickle-down economic standards, right, works its way into the middle class. Much more than paying fucking defense contractors. You understand? Are you picking, picking up what I'm putting down here? So that argument doesn't really make a ton of sense at all. And then we have the situation where essentially the the Republicans can say, well, the Democrats aren't as aggressive as we are in trying to limit the power of big tech in repealing Section 230, right, which was never going to happen, by the way. And then (laughs) the Democrats can defer blame by saying the Republicans um, don't don't really want you to get that $2,000, right? So it's, but in reality, the reality of the situation is None of them wanted you to get it. Holly and Bernie did. Tulsi, I think, did. And a handful of others, the squad, Matt Gates, right? Some of these cats over there, that's a handful of people. But the majority of your representatives did not want this money to go out. 
And they made damn sure that it didn't. This is why these elections are so important. Right? When you when you when you vote, your representatives are incredibly consequential. And we've got to remember that because shit like this is keeps on happening. And these people, the Pelosi's, the McConnell's, the Schumer's of the world, are the Clintons of the world, basically. These Clintonites, right, are so disconnected from what it's like to be a real person that they can't even get their shit together to stimulate our economy directly. It's comical. It is a joke. And Mitch McConnell is so good at it. It, it, it hurts me on the inside how good Mitch McConnell is, is at this. He did the same thing with judges under Obama in the last two years. And he did the same thing here. He blew it up. Not to mention the guy comes from Kentucky where they could really use that money. He doesn't care about his constituents. He doesn't care about the American public. He cares about his ideas. And when someone cares about their ideas more than they care about people, that disqualifies them from being a representative. But the motherfucker gets elected again. And Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House again, ran uncontested. And here we are. And here we are. Are. So those are my thoughts on what happened with the $2,000 stimulus. I could keep going, but I think you get it. Let's go ahead and talk about Assange. Extradition was denied from the UK for Julian Assange. Now let's check this out, this article from The Guardian. So we've got The Guardian here. All right, so... Julian Assange cannot be extradited to the U.S. British judges, British judge rules. Now, uh, the reason I pulled the Guardian up here is because the Guardian was actually one of the um, primary outlets that Snowden used to leak to whistleblow. Right, so I like the Guardian when it comes to this kind of stuff. Sometimes it go a little bit far left for me, but here we are. So, anyways, Julian Assange cannot be extradited to the U.S. British judge rules, and the reason is going to surprise you. He will make a fresh bid for release from prison Wednesday after British judge rules that he cannot be extradited to the U.S. to face charges of espionage and hacking government computers. Lawyers of for, for, for U.S. authorities are appealing against the ruling at the Old Bailey, which rejected arguments that WikiLeaks co-founder could not get a fair trial in the U.S., but blocked extradition on the basis that procedures in prison there would not prevent him from pro- potentially taking his own Life. So let me clear that up for you. They they rejected that what Assange did falls under the under journalism and not under the Espionage Act. But they won't extradite him to the U.S. because our prison system is so fucked and his mental health is so poor at this point that they can't be assured that he will not quit commit suicide in prison because of the conditions of American prisons. Okay, that's their reasoning for not extraditing him. Now, he's going to apply for appeal. That will likely be denied. Now, this isn't based on journalistic stuff, right? This is purely uh, uh, just on the fact that American prison systems are so fucked up. And they quote in here talking about how they brought up Jeffrey Epstein numerous times. Like, he was in a supermax prison, and he killed himself. Yeah, and regardless of whether or not he killed himself or was murdered, which is more likely, um, the same thing can happen to Assange. So they didn't want to release him back into custody of the United States because they knew that he wouldn't live that long, regardless of whether he killed himself because he has been diagnosed uh, on the autism autism spectrum and he would have a, like a feverish kind of focus on doing one thing. If he decides he wants to kill himself, he's going to make it happen. And if deep state actors decide that he wanted to, they wanted him dead, which they've already pre-decided um well that could happen as well and we have this situation now where this is so insane right assange to many people i would say the majority of american people assange and snowden are heroes they exposed things war crimes spying on spying on american citizens right all these things that we wanted to know needed to know that were criminal and now they're being treated like this this is, and he could, even if he was free, right? They, they let him walk free, okay? Do you think he'd be safe here? Really, in your heart of hearts, do you think that Assange would be safe in the United States? He has no, he can't come home. He has no choice 
but to bounce around the globe and try and stay alive. That's the reality of a whistleblower from the United States of America. No, regardless of what Obama had said when he was running for president about protecting whistleblowers, we all know that was bullshit now, right? They even removed it from their website later on. But they ran on that. And this happened. This happened. This is so fucked and so disheartening. And the fact that Trump has not had the cojones to pardon Assange and Snowden. If you think Trump is a hero, I would do this. If, if Trump in his, in his final days as president pardoned Assange and Snowden, I would call him a hero. I would do it. I would call that orange fucking douchebag a hero. But he won't. Because deep down, he's a fucking coward. He was never going to drain the swamp. He was never going to challenge the deep state. He's an orange Obama. Okay? Let's be real. This is not a, 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 even debatable at this point. The only people that think this guy is, is, is a criminal are the people that he exposed for their fucking war crimes. So what are we doing here? This guy's been in prison since 2019. For what? Espionage? No. Did anybody get hurt? No. They will claim that people got hurt, that informants got hurt. Is that really a reason not to expose the federal government for war crimes? No. Okay, so where are we at? This is where we're at. So I'm glad he's not being, it's a win. It's a win, but it's not a win for the right reasons. Now, will, can something happen in the final days of the presidency of Donald Trump? Yes. I would be so incredibly surprised, but we'll see. We'll see. And that is, that's all I got to say about that. This is just, this is just, this is, this hurts. It stings, but I'm glad he's safe. I'm glad he's got another shot. And maybe, I mean, fuck, Biden's not going to do anything to help. That dude can't even think. And Kamala Harris loves keeping people in prison. The com- keeping people in prison is like Kamala Harris's fucking like hobby. It's her side gig. It's like, how can I keep more people in prison? That's her, that's her thing. So it's like, do you think either one of those motherfuckers are going to have anything to do about, to, to change, anything to change here? I think they had one, one shot at pardoning these people, and that was Bernie Sanders. You may not believe me, but I think it would have happened. But nevertheless, here we are with heroes of the American populace in hiding or in prison because they spoke truth to power. Moving on. So these Georgia runoff elections are happening right now as I'm recording this. People are voting. The polls close in about two hours. But I want to get into some of this. This is really interesting. And I'm going to dive into this quite a bit here. We got this, we got this article from The Independent. Let's get this up right now. Georgia off, Georgia off, Georgia runoff election polls. What are the latest odds for cru- the crucial Senate race? Now, this is from the Independent, and I like this publication quite a bit. But when we look down here, we got Kelly Loeffler versus Raphael Warnock and David Perdue versus John Ossoff. Now, I want to preface this with my own. I, I really like to point out my own bias when I'm doing this. I fucking cannot stand Kelly Loeffler or Leffler, however you say her name. I cannot stand that woman. She is so corrupt, and, and, and her talking points make my eyes bleed, okay? All, her whole, the, the, the platform that she is running on is radical socialists, radical leftists. He's going to take away your health care. He's going to take away your gun. Like, like t- if you just took a, like, it's like fucking right-wing talking point bingo with this bitch, okay? She sucks. She is the worst. I hope she loses as a Republican in Georgia, that would make it so sweet for me just because she sucks so bad. This is not about policy necessarily, but her policies are fucking garbage. Okay. She's a garbage person in a garbage world and it works for her, but goddamn, the fact that this woman like dumped stocks on insider information about what the impacts of COVID were going to be on our economy disqualifies her, in my opinion, from being representative of the people. Okay. Dumping millions of dollars in stock because you know something other people don't while downplaying the situation we're about to be in is criminal. Okay. It's criminal. She sucks. 
And watching her try and debate is like watching a malfunctioning robot from Westworld try and have a conversation. It's painful to watch. So that's my bias, okay? That is my bias in this situation. So as we go down here, the polling on this thing is super, super tight. So just a reminder, we have 48 Democrats and 50 Republicans currently in the Senate. So if Democrats win both of these seats, then the deciding vote will come from Kamala Harris. I have my own issues with that. I'm not really sure that the only reason I don't want a Republican majority in the Senate is because I don't want uh, the majority um, Senate majority leader to be Mitch McConnell. Okay. That's, that's my own. I just, I, I, as we all know here, I despise that man. So with this situation, we end up, if they both lose, if, if both Democrats win in Georgia, then essentially we have a, uh, a, a democratic majority in the Senate. I don't like that unchecked power on the Biden administration. Okay, if it was anybody else besides Mitch McConnell, I would have some maybe have something different to say about this. I'm kind of torn. It's a 50-50 here. I don't really want what they have. I don't. I don't have enough faith in what the Biden administration has going on to really want a a dem- Democratic uh, executive executive branch and uh, both House of Congress. Right. So I don't really want that to be the case. But. Also hate Kelly Loeffler, so <laughs> it's this is it's a challenging spot to be in here. But as we go down here, I want to look at these poll. The polling was really really interesting. So both races are incredibly close, with five thirty eight putting Mister Purdue at forty six forty seven point six percent and Mister Ozoff at forty eight point five percent. So just a little bit of a lead there, well within the margin of error. Mr. Warnock is at 49.6% and Leffler is at 47.6%. Oh man, that's polling averages as of January 1st. So we're really, we're, this is, this is a tight race. I don't see Democrats pulling it out in Georgia, but it's possible, man. This is, remember we're, we're on the, it's not 2020 anymore, but it's not much different. So as we look down here, if we go look at the odds, now the Vegas odds are pretty good at predicting who's going to win. So if you look at this, this is basically the amount of money you would have to wager to win $100. That's how these, that's how these go if you're not familiar with um, doing money line bets. So Vegas has Purdue at a negative 189, meaning he is the favorite, and Ozloff at, or Ozoff, excuse me, at uh, plus 138, Leffler at negative 149 and Warnock at plus 110. So in both Vegas odds, you have, or for in the Vegas odds for both races, you have um, Republicans being favored. I see that, I see it going that way, but I am on the edge of my seat to see how this turns out. And you already have so many Trump voters, right? You already have so many Trump voters that are that have lost complete faith in this election, and by undermining the election, he may have undermined this race. I think if it's if it's close, say it's like a fifty-one forty-nine type situation, right, and it's super close to Democrats win, you can blame that on Trump undermining the election and the Dominion voting system stuff and the full-on like right-wing extremists <laughs> that are out there, like Lynn Wood, right, the lawyer for Trump. And you can see like the impact that's had on the faith of his followers, of his little cult. And I'm curious, I'm just so curious as like a social experiment to see how this turns out. I'm not sold on a Democratic Senate being the best move for the country. Um, Like I said, I'm split on that as to which, which, which would be the best just because of my lack of faith in the Biden administration. But this is going to show us a lot a lot, a lot about our country. Usually when you have a Democrat win, you have kind of this Republican push after the fact. So you'll have Republicans really being just kind of disenfranchised or frustrated and showing up at the polls. You have a higher turnout, but who knows? They may be riding this, like the situation. I mean, this is, we're in the middle of so many shifts as a nation right now. This is just so uncomfortable, but also just so interesting to see. And there's part of me that's really grateful for that. Like we we get to see this dumpster fire in real time. <laughs> it's amazing, super amazing. So, 
With all that being said, that's where we're at. I'm I'm going to be watching this tonight and seeing what's going on. Maybe we'll do. I, I may, depending on how it turns out, may pop in and do a just a show solely on this. Um, once we get some election results in, and we'll see what's going on. But the polls close in a couple hours. By the time you're listening to this, you probably know more than I do right now. We'll see how it goes. Now let's talk about vaccines. All right, my thoughts on vaccines. This has been weird for me. Okay, so on my trip home for the holidays, my mom got a vaccine. Um, right after I left, actually, she got the vaccine, her first shot of, of two. Um, I know several people who have gotten the vaccine. I know people who are thinking about taking the vaccine. Most people I know are not taking the vaccine. Okay. And I wanted to come out here. I felt a little bit of a responsibility because I've been thinking about this a lot and, and talking about this a lot. And let everyone know I will not be getting the vaccine. And I wanted to share my thought process as to why I'm choosing not to get the vaccine. And this isn't some kind of, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any mean. Like when, when Kelly and I have children, uh, we'll take a very pragmatic approach um, to the vaccines that we choose to get. We will not just take the full schedule. Uh, we're not going to go that route. We're going to be very, we're going to spread these things out and, and do it in a way that we feel is in integrity with our beliefs and the most pragmatic um, given the safety of our child is, is a number one priority, right? So that's where I'm at as far as vaccines go. By no means anti-vax. I can't find a reason to take this vaccine for myself, okay? If you do have a reason, do it. Do whatever you feel is right for you. I respect the fuck out of that. Do that for yourself, okay? But I can't really seem to wrap my mind around why this would be a good idea for me. I'm almost 34, I'm healthy. I take care of myself. My immune system, whenever I do get sick, kind of kicks ass, right? Like I, I kick things pretty fast. If I get, you know, get the flu about every three years, I've never taken a flu shot. I get it. I'm out for a week and I'm back in the game, right? I don't mind that. I think that's actually a healthier way to do it. I try and take care of myself. I fast, I sauna, I ice bath. I try and work out, move every day. Um, I, I do, I put a lot of, of my emotional and, and intellectual energy into like figuring out how to be a healthier person and live a better life. And taking that same kind of line of thinking into the vaccine and then looking at the, just the sheer numbers. Okay. Just the sheer numbers. Like there, there are so many things that I do in my life that are more high risk than what the risk that COVID poses on my life. And I don't really buy the get the vaccine because it, it protects other people argument. That seems like it's taking advantage of people's compassion. And one, it seems like blatant manipulation and propaganda to me. Um, it just, I it doesn't, it doesn't resonate that, that argument does not resonate at all. Okay. So when I look at this and I look at the numbers, I'm going to pull the numbers up. If you're watching on YouTube, um, good for you. You're going to be able to see this, but I'll, everybody else, I'll explain them to you here. So if we look at COVID-19 deaths by age in the United States, okay? So I'm about to be 34. So I'm at the top end. I'll say the 25 to 34. You have 2,041 people have died of COVID-19 in my age bracket, okay? So that's, that's 2,041 people that died with COVID, not necessarily of COVID. As uh, Dr. Burke said, they're taking a very liberal stance on how they are um, counting these deaths. So if you die, if you say you had numerous pre-existing conditions and you died with COVID, um, then you, that, that, that's a COVID death, right? So the, the counting of these things, and this is not, this is just is what it is, right? The counting of these things on top of the fact that hospitals were getting paid uh, more from Medicaid, for having COVID-19 patients at all, for any COVID-19 patient they got, I think it was $19,000 or $18,000. So there's a profit motive to having COVID patients um, and finding that the way they were testing, I thought was kind of squirrely in the way that it was, if it was even in, in very, very small, uh, insignificant amounts within um, the tests that that would still count as a COVID positive, even though that's not really the way it works with any other influenza virus. Uh, there's a lot of things here that were squirrely. So I'm, I'm not sure how many of that 2,041 died from COVID, but I would, if I was to put money on it, say it was a, a thousand or less. Okay. Now, if we look at all deaths, and this is really important here, if we look at all deaths, okay, in, in this age bracket, 25 to 34, there's 60,000 people have died of anything in this age bracket, right? So if you look at 2,000, right, and you have 60,000, like there's, 
there just doesn't that doesn't seem like a substantial number of deaths within my age bracket. And the odds of me having complications from COVID-19 don't seem to be much higher than the odds of me having complications from the vaccine, given the fact that pharmaceutical uh, producers of the vaccines are shielded from liability. So if something does go wrong, you're fucked, right? They're not on the hook for anything. If they made a mistake and you have some adverse reaction to this and something bad happens, doesn't matter. They, 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 they're not paying you out on that, right? They're not, not like the opioid situation where they had to actually pay people for their lies and their and misleading people and marketing a highly addictive drug as some kind of like harmless painkiller. That's not the case with vaccines, thanks to Ronald Reagan in 1986. So we've got a situation where there's a profit motive for the pharmaceutical companies, a large profit motive, right? Two billion guaranteed for the pharmaceutical com- pharmaceutical companies to get something out fast, and they're shielded from liability. And you want to tell me that that is a good environment for medicine to be produced in? No, sir. I don't think so. I will not do that. I will not put that in my body. Thank you for the opportunity to. But I also don't want to be called dangerous or conspiratorial or a villain or willing to hurt other people out of my own selfishness for not taking a vaccine. And I have a feeling... In the next few months, that's where the narrative will go, even though only 2,000 of the 60,000 people who died in my age range died with COVID. Not of COVID, with COVID. The risk factors are not there for me. It seems like, at best, a coin flip to what you want to fuck you up. If someone came to me today with an ultimatum and said, you can get COVID, or... You can take the vaccine. I would get COVID. Like without, it would be like, yeah, just give me COVID. That's that's not that's not a question. Like let's do it. Now I think the vaccine will maybe create a sense of normalcy or give us an opportunity to be normal again if there's no deep nefarious intent behind it. But I'm really curious how people that choose not to get vaccinated with the COVID vaccine will be treated. And I'm scared, I have a fear, that the fear of being a social uh, uh, pariah will drive this decision, not the, the, the drive to be well. And we know, this is, not, this is not really debatable, we know that like the pharmaceutical industry isn't really driven to make you well. Like That's not the way this really works. Like, if they can actually put you in a situation where you need them more, that's better for them, thanks to the profit motive in healthcare. Right? There are benefits to the profit motive in healthcare, innovation being the primary one. But it still doesn't necessarily drive moral decision making. Profit motives and moral decision making don't really fuck very often. Okay? That's not really how they that's not really how they operate. So That's my thought. The risk of taking the vaccine seems greater to me personally than the risk of getting COVID or even spreading COVID. Like it just doesn't hold water. You might be upset hearing that. And I want to reiterate, I am by no means giving anyone advice. That is not what I do. I create opinions and share them about politics and social events. Okay? That's what I do. I might be a fucking moron. But I am not taking the vaccine. We cool? We good? That's where I'm at. And if I get called dangerous, problematic, or ignorant for it, We might have problems. We might have problems. But until then, I'll just keep doing me. (laughs) And I hope you keep doing you. Make the best decision for yourself. Look at the information. Okay? Look at it. 
If you have pre-existing health conditions, you probably can roll the dice and take the vaccine because COVID can fucking kill you, right? Probably the same reason you get a flu shot or something, right? It makes sense. My mother, who's 53, 54, who works with geriatrics and hospice, needs to get the vaccine. Of course she does. That makes sense, right? If you're over 60, 70, you probably need to get that. But let's not forget that of the 18,000 people who went through the trials, only like 800 of those people were over the age of 70. That's less than 5%. Isn't that, the, isn't that our focus here? Because it disproportionately, if we look down at this chart here, I'll pull it back up again. 92.7,000 deaths, 85 and up. 79,000 uh, from 75 to 84. 65 to 74, 62,000. 55 to 64, 34,000. 45 to 54, 14,000. 35 to 44, 5,000. So you tell me, based on this information, where we should start with the vaccine and who really needs it. Where does the distribution need to begin? I would think, personally, in old folks' homes. But we've also seen tons and tons of nurses and frontline workers that are, that are exposed to this stuff every day also turning down the vaccine. You may think that's anecdotal and you may think that's outlier stuff, but it's, it, it is worth noting, right? When I shared something about this on my social media, I had, so, I had three nurses in the first hour reaching out to me, people that work in hospitals saying, yeah, like most of or half of our, our nurses turned it down. Our ER, ER and ICU nurses turned it down. That says something to me. So think for yourself, make the best decision for yourself and be safe and look into some research. Don't buy just like you wouldn't buy the public narrative on what's happening with the environment or what's happening in politics or what's happening overseas in wars, don't buy the public narrative on this. Do some research for yourself and make the best decision for yourself. That's my advice. Maybe Jake Tapper on CNN and Rachel Maddow, right? maybe they don't really have, maybe they're not health experts. I don't know. And maybe, maybe people that make vaccines like Bill Gates, who calls vaccines the best investment of his life. The creator of Microsoft calls investing in vaccines the greatest investment of his life because it has 20x returns. Maybe that's not the guy to listen to because there's a profit motive in his decision-making. And even if you think that he's some kind of benevolent leader in the space, why would you trust someone who has a pro, who has a there's a profit motive behind everything they tell you? This is capitalism, baby. We're better than that. We're smarter than that. Make the best decision for yourself. That's all there is to say. And with that, let's go ahead and move on. And I'm going to give you something to think about. Is 2021 going to be better than 2020? It's a valid question. We've got a lot of variables at play here. Number one being that virus that seems to be running everybody's decision making. <laughs> We've also got an inauguration coming up. And on January 6th, which you may be listening to this before or after January 6th, we're going to see some uh, some things coming out in the Senate and Congress about election fraud. So we'll learn a little bit about that. So we got this inauguration happening, could be contested, we'll see what happens, you know, who knows? Who knows? You know, I'm over here creating a Patreon community that will most likely turn into a violent militia at some point, and that's fine. I'm into that. Um, but we don't know. Right? We have to, we have this idea we're putting so much pressure on 2021 to be better than 2020. It might not be. I don't feel comfortable in that assumption. <laughs> okay, because what we have, and we have elections happening right now. We'll see what happens in the Senate. 
But the policies for the next four years are being decided in the next few hours. What's eight, or at least the next two years, because you're going to see a red wave like no fucking other in 2022. In 2020, the last two years of the Biden administration, if he even makes it that far, it might be the Harris administration by then, will not, <laughs> nothing will happen, right? We're going to have two years of Biden and two years of Republican House, Republican Senate. Pelosi has shit the bed. Um, Republicans are, as weird as it may seem, Republicans are the only ones speaking rationally right now, aside from a handful of Democrats, right? Tulsi Gabbard leading the way there. So we've got the situation here. We're going to get two years of Biden and whatever, and then it'll be gridlock uh, political fuckery like it always is, uh, just like the last two years of the Obama administration. So we're in this situation where we keep putting pressure on this year to be better, but I don't think it's going to be. I think what we're looking at this year, if I just make a handful of predictions, is an economic downturn at least on the scale of 2008. We've been juicing this economy by printing money and the transfer of wealth upward and the destabilization of the working class that happened in 2020. Those consequences don't show up immediately because we can put a Band-Aid on it for a little while. But things are going to get really fucking bad and really hard for a lot of people. Now, to be fully transparent, I'll probably be fine. Many of you listening will be fine. But of the people that listen to this podcast, plus me and mine over here, we don't make up the majority. Okay? There will be some intense suffering here. And we've also got to know, and one of the reasons that I was, I voted for Biden, even though I regretted it later, <laughs> after seeing what he was putting together for his cabinet, I was like, wow, I fucked up. Um, I can own that. Uh, should have voted for Joe Jorgensen, like I wanted to, like my heart wanted me to, but I did not. Um, we got the situation where I thought, you know, we get Biden in, and then we can speak up. We can speak up about fucking stupid ideas that are coming from the left, stupid ideas that were coming from the right. It would shut the QAnon nerds up. And then these, like the far left people that are running the narrative right now, we could rise up as ra some rational thinkers in, in, in the populace and tell them to shut the hell up and bring better ideas to the table if they want to bring any ideas to the table at all. I thought that was my best case scenario. So far... I don't see that happening. I see Kamala Harris starting a podcast called Next in Line as if she's already earned the presidency, which is just so self-righteous. But I don't expect more from her, right? She thought she deserved the presidency from the primary, even though she couldn't even make it to the end. Her fundraising was so bad because she is such an uncompelling person <laughs> that she had to settle for being vice president to somebody who can't make words good. Okay? I don't know what could make 2021 better, right? The vaccine, maybe, if it, if it, if it slows some of this kind of ridiculous fear-mongering that's going on. But I don't th I think, I think the government's got, I think they tasted blood. I think they saw how far they could push us. They saw how they could push the narrative. They saw what we would do. They saw the level of compliance and go, we're in a great spot. For the first time in a long time, it seems like to me that the fucking government has the leverage. The government has the leverage, and we're all sitting here going, oh, wait, this isn't how democracy is supposed to work. We're supposed to have the leverage. But we gave it up. We gave it up. Over and over again, we said, oh, protect us, please. The Red Scare after World War I. Oh, save us from the communists. Thank you for this make-believe fucking demon that you have said is going to come to our shores, and then all of a sudden America is going to be full of communism. That was the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. And it took a couple of false flags to even have people buying that bullshit. When the government tastes blood, i.e. fear, they're like a shark. They don't want to stop. They need us to be afraid of one another, of invisible fucking demons. Communism, socialism, radicalism, authoritarianism. If you're on the left, oh my God, Trump is an authoritarian dictator. He's about the most uncompelling authoritarian dictator that has ever been. Okay? There's a reason Hitler became Hitler. 
And it wasn't because he talked like Donald Trump. All right? And if you're on the right, it's the radical left socialists are going to take away your health care and your guns and your freedom. They're going to come get your freedom. It's all propaganda. And we forgot one thing, that we're all Americans, okay? And yeah, people in New York versus people in small town Texas don't really live a similar reality. But we fork over our fucking leverage to, to, to celebrity politicians that we've turned into deities? And we all of a sudden think that because the fucking, because time has continued and now it's 2021 that things are going to be better? Do you know how much shit we've given over in my lifetime? And it was happening before me. We overtrusted. We overtrusted our own judgment. We overtrusted our representatives. And to be completely fucking honest, we overtrusted ourselves. And we, we were convinced. America has been convinced of its own righteousness. You know who else is convinced of their own righteousness? Cult leaders. That's who. Con men. You can justify anything when you're convinced of your own righteousness. And America has lived there for far too fucking long. Because if we're all righteous and we're the best country in the world, which is bullshit, by the way, that's not even a real metric. How do you even quantify that? I think people in Australia are like, God damn, I wish I was American right now. Every day they wake up, oh, got to go live another Australian day in the bush, mate. No. Is it better? Are we better than Syria? Yeah. Okay. I get what you're saying, but so is every developed nation. So because we believe that we're the best country in the world and we were convinced of our own righteousness, it was okay to let our government do whatever the fuck they wanted to do. War crimes? Nah. Whatever. Military contractors? Blackwater? Nah. Whatever. We'll pardon them. Let's pardon the people who kill innocent civilians. Nah. We're fighting a war on terror. We're fighting a war on drugs. Fighting a war on the radical left. We're fighting a war on, on, on authoritarianism. Russia's coming to our shores. Trump's, Trump's Putin's puppet. Are you buying this shit? Are you buying what they're selling? Because it's not a fucking game of benevolence. It's a game of power. It's a power play every fucking time. And we sit here and take it like cowards. And we fork over more and more and more. And yes, we have a really free nation. We pretend that we do. But our information's not free. Our privacy isn't free. We can sit here and talk about the Second Amendment and shit like that. Tangible things. What about intangible things? Whether we're forking it over to tech companies for convenience or the government for protection from whatever evil they decide to to, to pretend is, is a threat. All of this has been happening. It's all culminating, culminating in this perfect storm. And we sit here and somehow pretend that just because time happened, things are going to be better. We have to fucking take responsibility for our shit for things to be better. Things don't just get better because time happens. As a country, we need to take responsibility for our shit. As Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Socialists, Libertarians, whatever the fuck you are, take responsibility for you and your people and what the fuck you're doing and how you've contributed to the problems of this, this nation. That's how things get better. Let's start with our racist fucking drug laws. Right? Are we going to move in a, in a positive direction in 2021 with those? Probably. That's one thing that we have a little bit of hope about. But here we are. Still having a debate about fucking marijuana in 2021. I can go to Texas and shoot assault rifles all day, but I can't go get weed afterwards. Does that make any fucking sense to anybody? Where are we at? We're so divided and blaming the other side instead of looking up at our representatives and what they've done and the history of our government and the crimes of our government and the overreach of our government and somehow we still find it a good idea to give these motherfuckers more power. And then we expect 21 to be better. So do I think 21 is going to be better? Not unless we get our fucking shit together collectively as human beings and do something about it. And it starts just like in self-help and personal development and therapy and whatever the fuck else you do. It starts with personal responsibility and accountability. 
from everything from calling out critical race theory for the shit that it is to calling out our federal government for the fucking war crimes. It's all the same. It's the same cognitive process, and we have to be very accountable to ourselves to make that happen. And if you're a fucking patriot, if you think that your political party has something to do with your patriotism, you're a fucking idiot. It is not. Your daily actions and your level of personal responsibility make you a fucking patriot. Not your political affiliation or who you voted for. You understand? So if we want to adopt patriotism as a nation, we got a long, long, long way to go. And it starts with holding our government accountable for their shit and being personally responsible for what you do in your day-to-day life. That is patriotism. That is what it means to be an American. And somewhere along the way, we fucking forgot that. So yeah, 2021 can be better. But we got a lot of work to do. I hope you enjoyed the show today, everybody. Got a little fired up there. (sighs) Make sure to go check out Patreon if you want to contribute and support the show, as well as get bonus content and get involved in some high-quality conversations. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. (laughs) Glad to be back. I fucking love you guys. We'll see you all next time. Keep your head on straight. Bye-bye.